In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Today we read uh, from the Gospel uh, of St. Matthew, the story of uh, a, a conversation that happened with Christ and the Pharisees after Christ cast out a demon from a possessed man. And so after Christ cast out this demon, the Pharisees began accusing Christ because they were always jealous of him and what he could do. They began accusing him and saying essentially that he was doing this miracle through the power of Satan. We read this in Matthew 12, 24. It says, now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. And so the Pharisees were accusing Christ of doing something that was evil, even though what he was doing was actually good. And we see this theme throughout the scripture that the Pharisees are always accusing Christ of doing things that are evil. They're accusing him of breaking the Sabbath by doing good works on the Sabbath, by healing on the Sabbath. They accused him of blasphemy because he uh, made himself to be God and he allowed people to speak about him as God and he spoke of himself as God. Uh, he, they, they accused him because uh, of dis disobeying the law. They accused him here of using the power of Satan. They accused him in so many things. So in their own minds, they considered that this man, Jesus, to be an evil man doing evil works. But we know actually that it's the opposite. We know that he was a good man and he was, he was God and he's doing good works, right? So we see that the, the minds of the Pharisees were so twisted that they considered that all the good things that Christ was doing to be evil and all the evil things that actually they were doing to be good because Christ accused the Pharisees of all of the evil and all the hypocrisy uh, everything that they were doing, and yet they did not accept this. They did not see that anything that they were doing was wrong, and they considered themselves to be doing good and Christ to be the one that is wrong. So it tells us something about having um, a corrupted moral compass, corrupted moral compass. The, the moral compass and the spiritual compass of the Pharisees were completely reversed. And Isaiah the prophet spoke about this in Isaiah chapter 5 when he said, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Right here, the Pharisees, they attacked Christ because they didn't consider him to be a moral authority. Right. Instead, they considered themselves to be the moral authority, that they were the ones who were defining what was right and wrong and they didn't accept Christ's definition of right and wrong. Right. Christ did not fit into their moral compass. Christ did not fit into their model of good and what should be done. So then, in other words, he must be evil because he doesn't do what they think should be done. Okay. They didn't try to examine themselves. They didn't try to see, is there something wrong with my moral compass? Is there something wrong with my moral framework? Is, is there something wrong with the way I perceive right and wrong? Right. And so that because they didn't examine themselves, they didn't see any flaws. They didn't see their whole their own hypo hypocrisy or anything about themselves as being wrong. So we live in a time where everyone has their own moral compass and their own moral compass is corrupt. All of us have corruption in our moral compass one way or the other, right? Whether Christians or non-Christians or, or anyone, because we're all lacking in, in morality. We're all, we're all lacking. What we as Christians believe is that the one true standard of morality the one true standard of behavior, of, of the way we should think, the way we should act, the way we should live is God and God's word, right? We, we elevate that above anything else, right? We say this is the word of God. It is higher than the word of man, 
right? The word of God is higher than the word of man, meaning whatever God commands is correct. Whatever God defines as good is absolutely good. And whatever God defines as evil is absolutely evil. And there is no variation of this. It is not based on my opinion. It's not based on the, the, the times. It's not based on the news. It's not based on the media. It's not based on society. It's not based on, on any one particular country or another. It's based on what is it that God has said is good and what is it that God has said is evil. So we, we see very much in our day today the same kind of thing that the Pharisees were doing here to Christ where they condemned him for doing a good work, right? And they did not accept condemnation for, from Christ for all the evil that they were doing because their moral compass had been corrupted. So I want to speak a little bit about what are some ways um, as a result of this corrupted moral compass that people can call evil to be good and can call good to be evil. The first one uh, I'm going to speak about is related to freedom, okay? The word freedom usually in, in most people's minds uh, has a very positive connotation. Um, we, we enjoy freedom and we want, we want freedom and we fight for our freedom and freedom is something that is so important to us uh, because we want to be free to think and to do and to choose uh, what we want to do. And, and it is a very good thing and it's a necessary thing. Um, God himself grants freedom to his children. God granted freedom to Adam and Eve, without which they could not have even chosen to disobey him. God has granted all of us freedom to choose what it is that we want to do in our life, okay, to decide for ourselves. So this is very important. The way that, that, that freedom is spoken about in the Bible, right, the way that God speaks about freedom, it goes beyond just freedom of choice, right? The concept of freedom goes beyond just freedom of choice. In Galatians chapter 5, it says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. So Christian freedom is not just the freedom to choose, but it's freedom from the slavery of sin. Because here St. Paul is speaking about being, being having liberty, and this liberty is the liberty by which Christ made us to be free, not to be entangled by sin, not to be under the yoke of sin and this yoke of bondage of sin, right? So, so we have the, the, the freedom of Christianity is not just the freedom to choose. It is the freedom from sin, right? Whereas in, in, the, in the greater society, this idea of freedom to choose is often equated with the freedom to sin, meaning I have, a, I have freedom. I have freedom to destroy myself. I have freedom to uh, indulge in my lusts. I have freedom to um, take drugs. I have freedom to have promiscuous relationships. I have freedom to do anything that I want. And, and, and we consider that to be freedom, right? But in Christianity, even though there is freedom of choice, obviously to sin, but we do not consider that life to be freedom. We consider that life to be bondage, right? And this is what St. Paul is saying. I am in bondage because I am not in control of myself. If, if, if I am doing destructive behavior, right? If I'm doing things that are destructive, that are destroying me, then this is not freedom of choice. This is, I am under the bondage of something that is controlling me, something that I cannot stop, right? Someone who 
you know, is uh, addicted to drugs, for instance, doesn't have freedom. Yes, they are free to choose to take drugs. Yes, but do we call this freedom? This isn't freedom. This is slavery. I am enslaved by an addiction, right? And so while I might be free to choose, I might not realize that I am actually enslaved. I'm enslaved to my lusts. I'm enslaved to my materialistic passions, right? And so I might look like I'm free, but I'm actually in bondage, okay? So Christ, he's offering us this freedom from bondage so that we willingly choose what is good and are free from the self-destructive passions that have looked like freedom, okay? But when you look at the way the world sees it, when they see, okay, uh, we as Christians are saying, well, we, have, we should live a certain way. We have a certain standard that we should live according to it, right? The world looks at this and says, this is evil. This is destructive. This is your, 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 why are you oppressing yourself? Why are you not allowing yourself to be free? Why are you, why are you being so self-controlled? Why are you telling yourself, oh, you can't do this and you can't do that. And you can't do that. No, you should be liberated. You should allow yourself to do anything that you want. You are living a life that is too restrictive, right? And what's the point of that restrictiveness, right? So they look at our lifestyle and our teaching as Christians and they say, this is wrong. The way you are living is wrong and it's foolish, Okay. So, so they take what we consider to be good and they make it out to be evil, okay? And unfortunately, sometimes we as Christians take the evil and we sometimes go after it. We consider it to be good. We say, no, I want the freedom to sin. I, I don't want to be controlled. I don't want God to tell me what is right and wrong. I don't want to submit to his moral compass. I don't want to submit to his moral authority, right? And so this idea of freedom is I want to be set free from the law of God. I don't want to have to be, sub I don't want to submit to him, okay? Whereas we know that sin, when I, whenever we sin without repentance, this sin actually separates us from God. It makes us to feel isolated, to feel guilty, to feel broken, to feel like there's something missing because our connection to God is broken. Our connection to God is, 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 is you know, restricted, is, is blocked because we are choosing a life of sin, because we want to go after sin. So this idea of freedom, right? We have to understand what do we mean when we say freedom and what kind of freedom does a Christian really believe is the right kind of freedom? Another uh, way that we can see that some people call evil good and good evil is, is when we speak about love, okay? When you look at the definition of love in the dictionary, okay? Uh, it says an intense feeling of deep affection, okay? a deep romantic or sexual attachment to someone, a great interest and pleasure in something, to like or to enjoy something very much, okay? If you, if you look at what is common between all of these uh, definitions of love, is they're all very self-focused, right? Deep romantic or sexual attachment, great interest in pleasure or something, to like or enjoy something very much, right? So it's all very much based on myself, right? I feel love towards someone or something based on my desire, based on my interest, based on my pleasure, based on my feelings, okay? And so according to this definition, if these feelings change, if I don't have as much interest or as much pleasure anymore in something as I did, this means that I am no longer in love, that I do not love anymore because those feelings have changed, okay? This is the world's view of love. But if you look at Christ's view of love, you see that the definition of love is so radically different than this, okay? Which is why I, I really wish we didn't even use the same word to describe these two concepts. In Luke chapter six, okay? 
Christ said, but if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same, right? What, what, what Christ is saying here is, why is it that you do not love those who hate you? Why is it that you only love those who love you? Why is it that you only love those who do good to you? He's saying, what credit is that to you? The world, that's the way the world lives. Even sinners love those who love them. The, the, the world, people that have, that do not have the, the Holy Spirit working in them, this is the way that they love. We love those who love us. And that's, there's no credit in that. There's no like, good job. You know, you, you're loving those who loved you. Like there's, there's no benefit. There's no reward in that. But Christ is calling us to love those who do not love us, right? To, 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 to have love not be this, this, this emotion or this feeling of love, but love to be a choice. Love is a commitment. Love is, is a decision that I make, right? So love, the true Christian love, is not self-focused, but focused rather on the other, right? And during the times where the other, even in a marriage, for instance, there are times where the other is not very lovable. There are times where the other, we don't really feel a great interest or a great pleasure or a great enjoyment, right, with them. But this doesn't mean that we should no longer love them or that we do not, do not love them anymore, right? The love does not simply end when my feelings or interests change. And this is why the Christian love is very different than the worldly love, okay? In John chapter 5, Christ said, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. The way that Christ wants us to love one another is with that unconditional love that he loves us with. Look how much we have hurt him. Look how much we have sinned against him. Look how much, like, you know, mankind, we have crucified the Lord, right? We have crucified him. And yet he continues to love. This is the love that he wants us to love one another. So again, we look at the world. We say, when the world looks at us and they see this kind of love, and they say, this is irrational, right? This isn't the kind of love that they want us to love. When we love our enemies, when we, when we love someone unconditionally, the world will come and say, you need to get out of this relationship. You know, like, like today, divorce is such an easy thing for people to do. So it's such, such something that, you know what, you're unhappy in this relationship, get divorced. Okay. Like that's the solution, right? But in Christianity, this isn't the solution. I, I'm, I'm not saying that this doesn't happen. But I'm saying this isn't our first go-to thing that we should say, okay, well, if, if, something, if something is broken, then, you know, then I'm going to, that's the, that's the solution. The idea here that Christ is speaking about is that love is enduring, that love lasts, love is a commitment. Love is not just something that I do in a moment, and then when my feelings suddenly leave, then that's a, a reason for me to end the relationship, okay? Uh, at the same time, we sometimes look at what is evil, okay, and we call it to be good, Right? We, we, we sometimes look at it like this too. It's difficult to be in a, a relationship where there is tension and conflict and, and, and there's a lot of bitterness and resentment, right? But here, this kind of love that Christ is calling us for is not a human love. This is not a love that we have it within ourselves to do. Christ is asking us to love with a supernatural love. This is why he's saying, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Who can say that we can love one another as, as God himself has loved us, as Christ has loved us? This is beyond our ability to love, right? This is why this type of love is, is a supernatural love that can only come through the working of the Holy Spirit in us. Only through the working of God in us 
are we able to love with this deep spiritual abiding agape love that God has for us? There is no other way, right? And again, the world looks at us and this love that we are called to love and they find it strange and confusing and, and, and it doesn't make sense to them, right? But this is the love that we are called for. This is the love that all people are called to love one another. And if you look at the brokenness that's in the world right now, the tensions that's in the world, the hatred that's in the world, the attacks and the fights that are in the world in so many different ways, right? What is the solution? Is it more politics? Is the solution more arguments? Is the solution more finger pointing? The solution is to show love, is to show understanding, is to have forgiveness. The solution is not to fight because there is no end of the fight. The fighting is going to last forever. No one is ever going to concede and no one's ever going to say, I'm sorry. And no one, and no one's ever going to say, okay, I understand you now, right? There is no understanding. There's just wars, you know? The, the answer to division and conflict, whether it be in my personal life or whether it be in society as a whole, in the world as a whole, is, is to love one another the way that Christ loved us. But this type of love is a life that requires sacrifice. This type of love is a love that says, you know what, I will accept to be wronged. I will accept to be wronged and I will not seek after, I will not seek retaliation. I will not seek to attack you when you attack me. This is the only way that we can have this kind of love. This is the kind of love that Christ had for us. He did not retaliate against us when we harmed him, when we hurt him, when we killed him. He didn't. He, he was forgiving. He was loving. He was gentle. This is the kind of love that can heal wounds. This is the kind of love that can bring peace. And, and this is the kind of love that is sadly missing in the world today. The third, uh, the, the third thing I want to speak about is tolerance. Okay. The world always speaks about that we should tolerate and accept those who are different from us. And this is true. We should accept people that are different. We shouldn't assume everyone is the same, right? And actually, when you look at Christ, he accepted even those who were sinners. For instance, the woman who was caught in adultery, who was about to be stoned, even though adultery is a sin, even though it's against God's command, Christ went and he protected this woman and he he, he, he uh, protected her from being stoned and he made it such that everyone else was ashamed and they walked away and the woman was left alone with him, right? Christ ate with tax collectors and people who were sinners. Christ did not come to judge all of those people, but he showed love to them and through his love, they were able to change and be transformed, okay? That's tolerating of people and accepting of people and showing love to people. But what happens when we speak about ideas, and behavior, and doctrine, and beliefs, okay? To tolerate and accept people, even those who are sinners, right? And to show them the love of God, right? This is one thing, okay? But what about to accept the wrong ideas and, and behaviors and actions of people? You know, St. John the Beloved, okay? He spoke about this um, in Second in John uh, verse 10. He said, if anyone comes to you, and does not bring this doctrine, which is the, go the gospel, the, the gospel message. Do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Okay. Why the difference here? Why, why, why does this sound so different from the message of acceptance and love and, and all this that we hear like in, with Christ? Okay. It's because here, this person who is coming, right, is coming as a false teacher and is coming teaching doctrines and teachings that is against the commandments of God, right? And so we do not accept this teaching. 
and we do not accept the people that are coming to teach us these things, right? Which is what is happening here. Like these false teachers were coming and they were teaching these wrong doctrines. And so uh, St. Uh, John said, do not accept them. In Galatians, St. Paul says, even if an angel from heaven were to come and to teach something different than what I'm teaching you, do not accept him, right? Do not accept this teaching, okay? So when we speak about tolerance, we have to be very um, careful about what we're talking about, okay? We are called to tolerate and accept people, even those who are sinners, right? Because this is the role of the church. The church is a, is a hospital. The church is a place to transform sinners into saints. This is why the church exists. This is a, one of the functions of the church. But that doesn't mean that we accept everyone's ideas and everyone's behaviors as being good. If someone comes to me with a doctrine that is against the commandments of Christ, then I cannot say, oh, well, I accept this. You know, I'm going to I'm going to consider that this teaching, that this action, that this behavior, that this idea is of equal value and goodness to this one over here, to the to the word of God. It, it is not. Right. St. Paul spoke about this also in First Corinthians five. He says, but now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. OK, who is he speaking about here? He's speaking about those who choose to do these things as a lifestyle. Right. He's not speaking about someone who falls into uh, idolatry or falls into sexual immorality and then repents. He's not speaking about someone who is, is weak and struggling to do good and failing. He's talking about someone who has chosen a lifestyle of sexual immorality, someone who has chosen a lifestyle of covetousness, someone who lives without any repentance, who defends their behavior and actions, that this is the life that they want. Okay. So when it comes to these things, we say, no, I reject these ideas. These ideas are not Christian ideas. And I do not want anything to do with them. Okay. So again, we look at the world. The world has so many different doctrines, ideas, philosophies, right? Beliefs. And that are coming from so many people. Okay. And out of, uh, and, and the world's uh, system essentially says, in order for us to be loving, we have to accept all these ideas. We have to accept all of these systems. We have to consider that these are all good and valid. Right. Otherwise, if we express disagreement about anything, then we are labeled as being hateful. We, as, we are labeled as being we reject others because we don't share in the same doctrine. Right. There's one. It's one thing for us to respect the idea that a person has a certain belief, but it's different for me to accept that belief myself and to say that that belief is good. Right. And that I am OK with. It, right. So so the idea of tolerance again, is this thing that's been twisted, right, in the world, right? We, they, they look at us, the world looks at Christians who, who maintain our faith and maintain our beliefs, and they say, you are bigots and hate, you know, and hateful because you do not accept certain behaviors and certain lifestyles, okay? Uh, again, they're, they're taking our good and they're calling it to be evil, right? But why are we doing this? This is what God has commanded us to do. He has given us the moral standard. He has told us, that when you live in sin apart from the will of God, you are separated from me. You are separating yourself from me. And we do not want to be separated from God. We want to live in union with God. And we want to love the things that God loves. And we want to hate the things that God hates. And if, and if that's confusing for us, if, if the reason that people are not all in agreement about this 
it's not because there's a problem with God or a problem with his commandments. The problem is with us. Again, the problem is our corrupted moral compass has allowed us to be swayed and to be deceived by you know, all these different ideas. And instead of remaining focused and faithful to God's command, instead we have become, you know, we are falling away, right? And we see this sadly, even in the church and among the youth, a lot of people get you know, carried away by all kinds of different beliefs in the world, right? And, and, and that are made out to be uh, good and righteous and we must follow this and we must do this and we must do that, right? And, and, and but what about, what about all under the guise of tolerance and love as though we are showing love, okay? But here it's clear from the scripture that we do not accept sin, right? We do not accept sin. We, we still love a person, but we don't accept the belief nor do we def defend the belief. Okay, the last one I wanna mention uh, of, of things that, you know, we might call good, evil, and, and evil good is faith, okay? As Christians, we are called to be faithful. We are called to have faith. In 2 Corinthians 5, it says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. It's very clear. The, the means by which we walk, the means by which we live, the means by which we have hope in the future, the means by which we we, 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 we define ourselves as Christians, as believers, is by our faith, right? Not by sight, meaning not by our senses. We believe in God by faith. We believe in his presence. We believe in his love. We believe in his plans, his goodness. All the characteristics of God, we believe it by faith, okay? Now, this doesn't mean there is blind, blind faith. It doesn't mean that there's no evidence for any of this. But certainly there's no like hard scientific facts as typically the world wants, like, for instance, we can look at the scriptures and we find evidence for God. We, we look at the fulfilled prophecies, right, which were, were made a thousand years before and they were fulfilled in Christ. We see that that is evidence for God. We see about how the word of God is relevant even for us now after thousands of years. We, there is logic in the understanding of God and the creation and how, like, the creation could not have been created from nothing. We see that there is evidence in the resurrection of Christ and the historical evidence of the empty tomb, Right. There are the real experiences of us as Christians that we live with God and see him working in our lives, right? All of this is evidence. All of this is things that, that help confirm us and establish us in our faith. But to an unbeliever, right, to someone who doesn't believe at all, they, they don't consider this to be hard scientific facts. This is not facts that you can prove and experiment with and repeat. Like this is not that type of evidence, okay? So this is why Christ says we have to walk by faith, okay? But to the world, having this type of faith is delusional, is fantasy, right? The world doesn't walk by faith. The world walks by sight, right? Only sight, right? And, 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 and while there was a time where faith was more tolerated and accepted in society, more and more faith has been rejected. Faith has been seen as being those who are small-minded, those who... Um, are weak-minded, those who are not intelligent, those who, um, you know, are willing to believe fables without any evidence for them at all, or those who are weak that just want to believe in God because it makes them feel better about themselves and the world, right? In the world, something doesn't exist if you can't measure it. In the world, something doesn't exist or is not important if you can't experiment on it, right? So the world is saying we want to live in a physical world only, it is only a physical world. There is no spirituality. There is nothing beyond the physical, right? And a world where we cease to exist when we die, simply because no one has any instruments to prove what really happens when you die, 
So we assume and believe and affirm that when you die, you simply cease to exist. Okay. This is the world's view, right? And sadly, sometimes even people in the church have become more skeptical of God and of the historical events of the Bible. Like, did the flood really happen? Did, was Joe, Jonah really swallowed up by a great fish? A lot of the stories in the Bible, maybe in modern times, we look at it and we're like, how really could that happen? Is that really possible that this could happen? Actually, if we believe that Christ rose from the dead, if this is really our sincere belief that Christ rose from the dead, then honestly, anything is possible, right? Like any, anything is possible. If Christ raises himself from the dead, anything is possible at all, okay? So the question for us is, do we believe that the Bible is really the inspired work of the Holy Spirit, right? Because as Christians, we cannot survive without faith. In Hebrews 11, it says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Okay, this is, this is like the most essential thing about Christianity is that we must believe. We must believe in, in the existence of God, in the goodness of God, in the word of God that he told us, right? And our, our whole life as a response to that faith, to that belief, to what is it that God has said. But when the world looks at us, right, at this good that we have, they say this is foolishness. This is, this is delusional, okay? And so it's important for us to be, you know, for, for a long time, at least in the United States, um, <clears throat> there was a lot of um, support, you know, there was a lot of support for Christianity. Christianity was uh, accepted. Faith was accepted, even by those who didn't share that faith. But the idea of being a faithful person, of having a religion, was more accepted than it is today. And so more and more we are pushed to the to the fringes. We are we are we are made to feel that we there's something wrong with us because of the faith that we have and because of the beliefs that we have and the way that we choose to live. And so more and more we are becoming like the persecuted church, more and more. Maybe not with aggression and violence, although that is starting to happen more, but we are, you know, called to live faithfully not because it is popular. If you look at the, the Christians in the first century of Christianity, there was no physical benefit of being a Christian. You didn't get any anything. You didn't get anything good by being a Christian in the world. You didn't get anything good from the people in the world for being a Christian. You, it was a death sentence, right? If someone chose to become Christian in the first century, you could die for that decision, right? You did that because you really, really believed that this was the truth. You didn't get any benefit. Right. From from for any other reason other than this is truly the, the truth. And I believe that God is real and this is the true faith. Right. And so maybe in our modern time, a lot of people, they seek other benefits of Christianity that maybe are not even there anymore. Right. Uh, we're 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 really called at this point to examine ourselves and say, what do I truly believe? And if I truly believe that this is true then I have to live according to this, even if it is extremely inconvenient and even if it's dangerous, right? Because, because we are called to have faith and to believe, right? And even when we are attacked by the world and they look at us and say that this good that we have is evil, just like they attacked Christ and said, you are casting out demons by the power of Satan, right? They look at us and say, you, 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 this is, this is, this is, this is wrong what you're doing. This is delusional what you're doing. You shouldn't do this. 
change your mind, change your thoughts. And there's pressure, constant pressure against the church, right? But again, we are called to live above this, right? This is what we should expect to happen. Christ said that we would have tribulation in the world, but that he was going, he's greater than the world. He will overcome the world for us. The last point I want to mention is the idea of hypocrisy, okay? Those with a flawed moral compass often violate it within themselves without even realizing it. When we make God our moral standard, God is perfect. And so God's moral standard is perfect and it's self-consistent and it doesn't contradict itself. But someone with a flawed moral compass who is inventing a moral standard and a moral law, it, it will not be self-consistent. It will contradict itself. For instance, under any moral standard, it's easy for someone to accuse someone else of a crime or some kind of outrage, right? While at the same time, they are violating that same crime, you know, or that, that same standard. For instance, society will condemn hatred. According to this, their standard of what hatred means, they will condemn hatred and hate speech, okay? But the same people that are condemning hatred and hate speech are using hatred and hate speech to attack those whom they are accusing of hatred, right? So, so that's a violation of your own standard, right? Who has, the more, who has the right to violate the standard, right? You're saying you have the right to violate the standard because you are attacking someone who violated the standard, right? This is not as Christians the way we live. This is why Christ said that do not even revenge, Right? When you have been treated unjustly, you do not have the right to treat another unjustly. Right? This is the Christian standard. That the standard is applies to all. It doesn't just apply to someone who believes that they have been unjustly treated. Right? Here, St. Paul, he accuses the Pharisees of doing this exact thing because they created a wrong moral standard that they then could not even follow. In Romans chapter 2, okay, St. Paul is speaking actually. He says, indeed you are called a Jew and rest on the law. He's speaking to the Pharisees. And make your boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and the truth in the law. He's saying, you Pharisees, you believe all this about yourself. You believe that you are lawful, that you boast in God, that you are a guide to the blind, that you are a light to those in darkness, you're an instructor to the foolish. This is what you believe about yourself, Pharisees, okay? You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? And so this, this is the, one of the signs of a twisted, corrupted moral compass, moral standard that was created by human beings as opposed to the moral authority of God. It is, it is, it is inconsistent. It cannot be applied justly. It, it prefers one group to another. It, 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 you know, it is full of hypocrisy. Okay? And so one of the ways that we can identify that this is happening is because of, 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 of the, the, the way that it cannot be applied evenly, right? The way the only God's standard can be applied evenly. Only God's standard applies to all, right? And in, in an even just way. Because, you know, even we in the church will be judged. 
You know, we're not, we're not saying, hey, we're part of the special exclusive group and our special exclusive group, we get to judge everybody and we get to tell everybody that they're wrong and that we're right. No, we are judged by the same standard that, that God is judging the whole world. So when we go and preach and we tell someone, hey, this behavior that you're doing is wrong, that is not a judgment. That is not me coming to you and saying, I'm better than you. That's me saying, I am judged by this same law. And if I do the same thing that you're doing, I myself will be judged, right? This is the standard that God has made. It's perfectly just. It applies to all the same. So just in conclusion, in St. Paul said in Romans 14, he says, therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil, right? And so this is important for us. What is it that we do now when we see this corruption of the morality, when we see everything is backwards? When we see those things that are good, that are that are right, that are godly, being spoken of as evil, and we see that those things that are evil, that God hates, spoken of as good, right? Here St. Paul tells us, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. It is our responsibility to illuminate, to enlighten, to shed light on the world, to make the world see that there is something lacking, that there's something wrong and confused in the way that the world is doing things, Okay. We should not be afraid to boldly state what we believe, especially today, especially in, in the most difficult times where we live and all of society is confused and they don't know right from wrong. And everyone is just like, like the absence of God is more clear now than I've ever seen it in my life. It is, it is so clear now that people need guidance and there is no guidance. There are too many voices. There's too many conflicting messages. And nobody can sort it all out and, and figure out what's right, right? Everyone just has their own opinion, opinion, opinion. There's nothing, there's no conclusion. There's nothing in the end but opinions and ideas with no, with no solution, with no guidance, okay? If we do not speak up and take a stand as Christians for what we believe, right? There will be nothing that will stop the parade of atheism, materialism, hedonism, selfishness, from taking over everything, from taking over the world, right? Which is the direction that everything is going, right? So we should always remember in the end, this is the last verse I'm gonna just leave you with, that St. John said. He said, behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him, right? The reason people do not understand us is because they don't understand God right? And yet we are his children, okay? This is the love that God has given us to, to consider us to be his children. And so we have this special gift that God has given to us. And now he says, I want you to use this for the salvation of the world. I want you to share this with the world. I want you to make the world see and understand the darkness that they are living in and to shed light on them because you are the light of the world, just as I am the light in the of the world. So in conclusion, Today we spoke about uh, how it is easy for the world to say that what we are doing is evil, even though it is good, just like the Pharisees did with Christ. And it's easy for them to say that the evil things that they're doing are good, right? Just as the Pharisees said about themselves. So it's important for us to keep this in mind, this principle in mind, and to not be deceived by the world, to not be deceived by the many voices that are in the world who are calling evil good and good evil. Isaiah said, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, 
who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And so may God grant us discernment, understanding, boldness, faith to strengthen us and the church as a whole to keep us resilient and strong even through these difficult times and glory be to God forever. Amen.